Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. Dr. Gregory Gansel is a philosopher that recently visited the campus of The Ohio State University to participate in a special event of the Thompson Institute entitled, Are You Free? Christian and Atheist Scholars Seek to Make Sense of Our Innate Desire for Personal Freedom. Dr. Gansel spent nine years teaching philosophy at Yale and is now a professor at Talbot School of Theology in Southern California. An author of several significant books, Dr. Gansel isn't just knowledgeable. We think you'll also find him to be humble and very thought-provoking. Now our interview with Dr. Gregory Gansel. Well, uh, Dr. Gansel, thank you so much for being willing to do this podcast recording with us. We're just so thankful to have the chance to have this conversation with you and and look forward to it. Um, so I think a good place to start would be to talk a little bit about your own life and your own faith story. Uh, everyone's life is a little bit different. How they arrive at faith in Christ is a little bit different. And so we just wanted to give you the chance to talk about what that has looked like for you. What's your faith story been like? Well, that's that's a good question. I, um, I grew up in a, f- a family that was very involved in going to church. And as I entered high school, it became less and less important to me. And I was doing the drift that many people do at that age. And um, halfway through my high school years, our family moved, and I met some new friends, and I got involved in a youth group at a different church. And that got me thinking because it became a place where I could talk about stuff, and feel safe about it. And very slowly, these spiritual interests began to develop. I mean, we would read the Bible and things like this in the youth group. And um, after a few months, I I had this kind of a realization all at once that life was too good to be an accident. And I was thinking of music. I just discovered Bob Dylan. So, (laughs) So that's... You know, that's what happens, and now everybody knows how old I am. um, And and I had this profound sense that the goodness of life, friendships, music, was couldn't have been accidental. And that was my first personal sense that God was real. Um, A few weeks later, through some other activities, I. I began to realize that I needed to make a commitment to Christ, that Jesus was the one who revealed God and um, made it possible for us to know God. So I did that. And so this was a pretty profound change. My first thought was everything my parents told me was true. And for a 15, 16-year-old, that's a shock <laughs> because you're you're trained not to believe your parents. Um and so I had a pretty standard evangelical conversion and growth. When I went off to university at the University of Maryland, I got involved in the student Christian ministry and learned a lot about how to study the Bible, how to talk to people about my faith. 
and and that set the trajectory of my life. Um, I didn't know anything about philosophy. I wasn't a very good student because I was pretty lazy. And um, and then when I joined the staff of Campus Crusade after after now crew after graduation, it was through conversations with students that I began to think about deeper questions, and I began to read a lot. And I went on this self-study guide to how do you answer hard questions. And I kind of realized I was reading philosophy, so I started taking classes. And um, that's how I got on the philosophy track. Hmm. So the the ministry and the philosophy kind of grew together. Hmm. I'm curious, what, what did you study as an undergrad? I was a secondary education biology major. Okay. But I use the word study very loosely. Okay. I, I I didn't give it enough time. It's one of, it's one of my regrets that I didn't use my undergraduate education well. But maybe you were getting into this a little bit. But I'm curious too. Like, what was it about philosophy that you were like, oh, I, I actually want to pursue not just continue reading, but I want to pursue classes. And then even further than that, I think you got your PhD as well in right. philosophy. So to even you you weren't just getting a master's, but you even went further than that. Like Right. When I started taking classes, I mean, these were undergraduate classes because I had never taken it. And when I, after probably in my second class, I felt like it was one of those square pegs finally finding a square hole, that the way I thought, the issues I cared about were done in philosophy. And, and it was like coming home in some way. Um, I had never encountered this um and it it became the thing that i i thought i've got to pursue this so each i just kept taking the next step it's a little bit like heroin i tell people (laughs) if 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 you're made to be a philosopher you start with a little bit i mean so untold and (laughs) and you can't actually ever stop so where did where did you end up getting your PhD or how did that well, were you I on did, staff with crew I, as you were getting your PhD? I was on staff with crew when my wife Jeannie and I got married. We were at Brown University in Rhode Island and I did my master's degree at the University of Rhode Island. When I when we were moving there, I this was our plan for me to try to do my master's degree part time while we worked in the campus ministry. Um I had no idea about how many Christians were beginning to do philosophy. And some of them were at the University of Rhode Island. So these became great mentors for me. Mm. And they pointed me in the direction of groups like the Society of Christian Philosophers. And um, so when I finished my master's degree there and was going on for a PhD, my main mentor, Don Zile, pointed me towards Syracuse University because William Abraham, I mean, William Austin was there and Peter Van Inwagen. And so that's where I went for my PhD. We were still on staff with crew at the time, but my main job was to do my graduate work. Hmm. And that was a great experience. Hmm. Hmm. You mentioned that um, there were questions that philosophers were asking and seeking answers to that uh were especially interesting to you. Uh, I'm kind of uh, wondering 
why you think it is that philosophy was the place that um, these questions were focusing on. You know, there's so many other people on our campus who who focus on so many other sort of niche disciplines. And uh, it seems like, from what I can see, it seems like the people who care about philosophy, that care about these kind of deep questions, uh, is a kind of a minority, if if that makes sense. A, a lot of people are more focused on like the here and now, what I can feel, what I can touch, what I, what are the skills I need for my job. Mm-hmm. And the more profound questions tend to be um, oftentimes un, unaddressed, maybe. Yes, if you're if you're thinking about what skills you need for your job, you are not a philosophy major, <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's very uh, tenuous connection. I mean, you do learn skills that are helpful thinking and writing. Um, I think there there are two questions here in seriousness. One is what questions are you interested in, and then the second question is what window do you want to look through to get to those questions. Because there are some questions you can approach in sociology or history mm-hmm. or theology or philosophy. And it, it's not just the, the question itself, but it's what are the methods that mm. appeal to the way you do your thinking. And, and I think that, that's helpful sure. in career advice for students to, to pay attention not only to the things that are interesting, but the ways to get at those things. And so for me, for, for it, it became obvious it was philosophy because partly it was having conversations with students who are not Christians and mm. talking to so many and trying to answer questions, trying to articulate what Christianity is in a way that could be um, understood and clear and even persuasive. So I spent a lot of time, which I still do, thinking about uh, philosophy of religion, hmm. reasons to believe in God, hmm. faith and reason, these kinds of topics. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we, we wanted to spend the bulk of our time in this interview talking about the recent book that you wrote called Our Deepest Desires, How the Christian Story Fulfills Human Aspirations. Uh, but you had written a book previously, a few years back, called A Reasonable God, Engaging the New Face of Atheism. And I wondered if you could take a moment to talk about uh, how this latest project, Our Deepest Desires, uh, differs from the previous book that you wrote. Because they, they seem to be, uh, in the big scheme of things, around similar topics, but they seem to be taking very different uh, approaches. Um, so I'm just curious if you could elaborate I, on that. I think that's right. They are very different books. The, the, the first book you mentioned, uh, A Reasonable God, is my response to the arguments of the new atheists, right? The new atheists is, that's a loose affiliation of people, but at the time it was Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and Christopher Hitchens, each of whom had come out with best-selling books um, arguing against the existence of God or the place of religion in public life or um, even the value of religion. And, and they each have their own nuances. Um, and the tone of these books is a little fiery. I mean, they're very impassioned and argumentative, which makes for great reading. <laughs> um, what, what got me to write that first book that you're talking about, which is actually my second book, but 
was I wanted to take a, a non-combative look at their arguments. So I wanted to be very careful to read well and charitably and put their arguments, strictly speaking, their arguments against the existence of God in the best possible light and then respond to them. And and so that was why I picked that up. It's a it's a defensive book in the sense that I'm not putting forward arguments for God, um, but much of the discussion winds up laying a groundwork for a case for the existence of God. My hmm. real hope was to help change the tone of the hmm. debate because I saw other Christian thinkers writing books that had the same tone as Dawkins' book. Yes, and I I don't think. That tone is what we want to model. Yeah. Right. I was at a, a, when that book came out, there was a book signing at the Barnes and Noble at Yale. I was working at Yale at the time. And someone asked me after I described the book, why didn't you really go after these people? Huh. And I said, well, that's not the way philosophers really should work. That's not the way followers of Christ should work and that's not how human beings should work right hmm. and i think no we need to we need to be um, charitable and understanding hmm. and try to get at the best picture of what someone believes who thinks hmm. what we believe is false hmm. so that was that was the impetus for that the latest book our deepest desires i'm going after something entirely different um I have a hunch that many people think the following. Christianity is false, and it's really good that it's false. Hmm. So in a sense, the book on the New Atheists was tackling the Christianity is false part. This latest book is tackling it's really good that it's false. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to show that people, if we reflect about it, are going to say it would be great if Christianity was true. Hmm. So I'm trying to hold forth how the Christian story um, captures human aspiration, which is basically the subtitle of the book. I talk about personhood, rela um, relationships, beauty, freedom, and, and to show that these things that we care the most about, the Christian story makes really good sense of them. What stuck out to me from this first portion of our interview with Dr. Gansel was when he was talking about the new atheists, and he was talking about how many of them have written books that he called very fiery, impassioned books, uh, highly, highly uh, critical and skeptical of religion and of anyone who would believe in the existence of God. And I, I really like that he had the idea of trying to change the tone of the argument. And I think it is it's significant that he has sought to do that in his book because uh, I think he's right in thinking that, that uh, a, a charitable tone better represents the, the character of Jesus, uh, that Jesus was one who really reserved his harsh critique for those who were uh, closest to him. It was the Pharisees that were the religious insiders who were sort of uh, the closest to him 
in the religious world of his day. Uh, For those who were kind of furthest from his point of view, he mainly displayed uh, grace and compassion and understanding and and really trying to uh, be compassionate. And so uh, I think uh, it's awesome to hear Dr. Gansel talk about just wanting to change the tone uh, you know, sort of step out of this culture war and really humbly engage people where they are. Thanks so much for listening to the walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit the thompsoninstitute.org, a program of crew at Ohio State.